Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the fourth episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. I'm joined by my good friend, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing? Uh, what's going on, Zach? A lot to talk about, man. Our Niners really handled the Panthers pretty damn well. <laughs> yeah, man, it was a blowout. And both of us were there to see it, along with uh, Steve as well. Unfortunately, Steve hasn't been able to make it onto an episode. He's having some issues with the fires going on in California. Thoughts go out to Steve. However, the 49ers killed the Panthers. There was a little bit of competition in the first quarter. However, the rest of the game, there was really no competition. And we'll we'll get into that. I mean, this is our review of the game episode. So let's not waste any time. All right, before we start... Anthony, let the folks know where they can find you. All right, guys. So to find me, Twitter is the main uh, piece of social media I use. And my handle is Perry, P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49ers. All right. Yeah. Make sure you guys are going to go follow Anthony if you haven't yet. So quick thing. First things first. The f- final score was 51 to 13. The 49ers annihilated the Panthers, like we said. Um, it was a all-around dominant game. There was no real one area, in particularly that the 49ers were excelling at. They were just excelling all over the place. Um, Anthony, let's get into it. If there was one sentence you would use to sum up the 49ers' performance, which sentence would you pick? The 49ers absolutely dominated the Panthers. On offense, on defense, and arguably on special teams, too. I would say that's my sentence. Um, You know, like I said, we have a lot to break down, and I can't wait to get into it. But this will be pretty in-depth, because the Niners just excelled on all sides of the ball the whole game, too. Okay. I think my sentence, and it's going to be a bit of a hot take, but get this. My sentence is, the 49ers are the best team in the NFL. And we'll get into it. Moving on. Uh, What was your initial impressions of Emmanuel Sanders? It was his first game with the 49ers. He kind of had a short week joining. And I thought he looked pretty well. What did you think? You know, I mean, you know, I think a lot of us wanted Emmanuel Sanders to have, like, a huge breakout game. And, I mean, I guess you can say he did if, you like him catching touchdowns but I mean otherwise he had a <laughs> he had it about the type of game I would expect any of our other receivers to have four catches 25 yards one touchdown uh his longest was 13 yards and he got targeted five times you know a lot of us talked about how Emmanuel Sanders was going to be this huge game changer uh he brings a different dynamic to the offense and I think he does entirely but what he brought to this Panthers game wasn't exactly what a lot of us expected. I mean, some of us were saying, oh, we want to see Sanders get 100 yards, eight catches, three touchdowns, you know, just totally blowing it out of the roof. But he had a nice, I guess you can say solid game where Jimmy G didn't really have to pass the ball too much. And even when he did, Emmanuel Sanders caught four of his five uh, balls that he got targeted by Jimmy G. And... Just like we talked about in the last episode, Emmanuel Sanders is reliable. 
He's a great route runner. He has great hands. And he can make a play when he touches the ball anytime. And even if the stats don't show it now, he was still pretty damn effective. So I would say if you don't look at the box score, Emmanuel Sanders had one hell of a good start to his Niners tenure, in my opinion. Yeah, and we always say, you know, the box score doesn't tell the full story, obviously. Um, a lot of people around me in the stands were starting to call him Security Blanket Sanders. And I thought that was a pretty funny name. Um, it seemed like every third down, just about for a little bit there, Jimmy was going straight to Sanders, regardless of you know where he was, if he was open, if he was a tight throw. He was getting it to Sanders, and he was coming down with it. So that was really nice to see, just the fact that Jimmy had another option other than George Kittle for once. So I'm super excited to see where this is going to be going and how Kyle Shanahan is going to be able to optimize Sanders' talents. And I think it's going to be great. It's going to be great for this team, great for this offense. And not only that, but it's going to be great for Jimmy because it's going to help him be able to balance out this offense a little bit more. It's not going to be so much of a run-heavy offense. And that's always what you want. You don't ever want to be one-dimensional. Uh, what surprised you most about the 49ers offense? I mean, they put up a 50-burger. So what about that were you kind of like, wow, that really that's really nice to see? Or even in a negative aspect, what surprised you the most? God, I don't even want to say there's a negative. I mean, Jimmy G got sacked three times if we want to be really picky. But he got sacked three times with two backup tackles. So I'm not really going to complain too much. This was arguably Kyle Shanahan's best offensively called game out of his whole career as a Niner so far. Um, everyone moved the ball. On Jimmy G's side, he was passing very well and very efficiently. Uh, 18 of 22, 175 yards, obviously two touchdowns, one interception. And then outside of him, the Niners were running the hell out of the ball. Tevin Coleman, 11 carries, 105 yards. Raheem Mostert, 9 carries, 60 yards, 1 touchdown. And then Tevin Coleman, obviously, 3 touchdowns. Uh, Matt Breida got dinged up, but uh, he still did alright, 11 carries, 35 yards. And then obviously, Debo Samuel, who got a rushing touchdown on the day, 2 carries, 29 yards. Um, again, Jimmy G didn't pass for a lot of yards. He had a very solid completion percentage, and he dished the ball out to quite a few people. Um, 1, 2, 3... He got seven different guys to catch the ball. This includes George Kitt, George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, obviously, Debo, Coleman, Bourne, and Pettis. So, the offense as a whole in the day was just efficient. The ball was being moved so well, and like I said, this was Kyle Shanahan's best called game all season, by far. He took advantage of red zone opportunities, he took advantage of the turnovers that the defense was forcing against the Panthers, and he just made the Panthers pay on every possible way he could. So, nothing more I can say, man. That offense was just on fire, by far. Yeah, those are some great points. They were marching up and down the field, having big runs, big catches. It was awesome to see, especially in person. Probably the thing um, that stood out to me the most about the offense, I'd have to say, I'll break it up into two things. Number one is their red zone efficiency. They were four for five in the end zone. And we all know this team previously in the last year or two, probably even going back a couple after that, 
they're not great at finishing once they get inside the 20. They kind of stall out or penalties drive them back, sacks kick them out of field goal range, whatever it may be, there's always usually something that kicks them out of the end zone. So it was great to see them capitalize and consistently find a way to get in to the to that to get excuse me to get the six. And even if they were scoring from, you know, 40, 50 yards out with Tevin Coleman runs or passes, it was it was still great to see the fact that they're not just a big play team. Once they get down inside of the twenties, they're still able to finish. And my second point would have to be converting on turnovers. It was always a big thing whenever this team in the past had get turnovers, they would quickly go three and out or they'd get one first town and then have to punt. Uh, It seemed like they were constantly capitalizing. They were making sure they made the most out of the turnover, turnover and they were getting into the end zone. So that's nice because it's, it's demoralizing for defense when you give it your all fight, put your body on the line and then you get the ball back for your offense. And then two minutes later, you're back there on the field playing defense. So it was nice to see them be able to capitalize. Speaking of this defense, what would you say surprised you the most about the defense? (laughs) Just like the offense, you know, the defense was just otherworldly. Uh, the defense held the Panthers to only 12 first downs in the whole game, uh, 230 yards of total offense. You know, obviously the big breakout day for Nick Bosa was just incredible. And I mean, this guy is playing like he's a defensive player of the year. I think in the last podcast, I called for him to get two sacks, three TFLs. Well, he got three sacks and sacks count as TFLs. So I got the TFLs right. But other than Nick Bosa, the entire defense was making plays. And I'm talking about sacks from everyone, you know? Nick Bosa, DJ Jones, Eric Armstead, Ronald Blair. You know, these guys were just absolutely making plays. And of course, we got to give love to the secondary. Uh, Sherman got a pick. Emmanuel Mosley got a pick. And who else? Nick Bosa got an interception. I think I saw a stat. It was the first time in Niners history that a defensive lineman got three sacks and an interception in the same game. And... I, I mean, other than Cleo Mack, who's really a defensive end linebacker, you know, you don't really see defensive linemen, unless they're linebackers, honestly, get interceptions like that. And the fact that Nick Bosa just stuck his hands up in the air and caught the ball like it was nothing, I mean, he even said it was just reaction. He didn't even know what was happening. And for him to bust down an interception for, like, what, 40 yards? That is insane. And that was just, you know, one tiny tidbit of how the entire defense performed. You know, Nick Bosa just, his performance today, or today, yesterday, really just shows how effective he is and how dominant the defense is as a whole. I mean, we're witnessing something that could honestly be better than what the Niners defense used to be five, six years ago. Yeah, Nick Bosa was amazing. Um, And you would, probably people thought that the Cleveland Browns game was his coming out game. However, this was the game I feel like really put him on the map as far as uh, national recognition, stuff like that. People are finally starting to say, this kid is for real. Um, He deserved to go number one. I know it's all about where you're going and what they need at the time. However, 
I mean, he's going to see the number one overall pick this Thursday in Kyler Murray in Arizona. And I'm sure he's carrying that in there, knowing that the whole time that this team passed on him. So it's great that the 49ers have Nick Bosa and they're not going to have to play him twice a year because that would just be terrifying. As far as the defense and something that surprised me, um, I don't know if I would necessarily cast, uh, excuse me, classify it as a surprise. However, it was great to see them continue their fourth down stops, one and two. Um, it's surprising to me that they're still able to come out there after the offense commits a turnover and still consistently hold teams to either three or nothing at all. Um, Jimmy right away threw that interception. I don't know what he was thinking. Kittle was definitely not open. But the defense came out back out there, and they were you know, determined to not let the Panthers get seven off of it. And immediately they you know, hunkered down, made sure they were all playing scheme-smart football, and that's exactly what they did. They forced the Panthers to settle for a field goal, and those were their only points for a while. So this defense is the real deal. I mean, there have been plenty of years recently in the 49ers, you know, past where their defense was just constantly gashed by offenses. You know, running all over them, passing all over them, constantly setting records. And now they're the, you know, arguably the biggest strength of this team. So it's just fantastic. And it's awesome for Robert Sala because he was getting so much, you know, just heat for constantly not having a good defense. You know, and he was he was suffering from injuries. Let's let's be honest. It was the injury bug that was constantly keeping this defense from being what they're designed to be. So it's hard to have a, you know, reach your full potential when you don't have your best talent out there on the field. You you sp- you, uh, you spoke about Nick Bosa and how great of a game he had. I have to ask you, who had a better game, Nick Bosa or Tevin Coleman? Uh, that's not even fair, dude. That's not even fair. I mean, I guess I guess Nick Bosa because like you don't see defensive ends like him just get interceptions out of nowhere like that. Um, you know, I think I'm going to roll with Nick Bosa. And the reason why is because any running back can succeed in Kyle Shanahan's offense. I'm sorry, they can. Tevin Coleman's performance overall was just fantastic. It was otherworldly. But for Nick Bosa to go out there and just, I mean, I, in the stands, I really felt like Kyle Allen was just scared. And plus two, throughout the whole game, Nick Bosa was getting chipped. He was getting double teamed. He was The Panthers were just trying to do everything possible to slow him as much as they could. I mean, I swear to God, there isn't even a play where Nick Bosa got blocked in the back and yet he still got up and pressured Kyle Allen. I think he got a sack on it. So it's the fact that Nick Bosa is only a rookie and he's only played in, what, seven games and teams are already having to double him, chip him, and just go out of their way to stop Nick Bosa and he's still being the most impressive defensive lineman there on on our team and you know D Ford's been good and uh the time he's been on the field Eric Armstead's been good obviously DeForest Buckner is good but the fact that Nick Bosa is already garnering so much attention from offensive lines and he's still performing well that really goes to show who he is and how teams view him
Nick Bosa is already on track for a defensive rookie of the year and arguably defensive player of the year. I think I heard that he was on pace for 16 sacks and the uh, NFL rookie record is 14. So Nick Bosa is definitely on a pace to where he could just shatter that record entirely. But again, the fact that teams are really keying on Nick Bosa is is just unbelievable. It's really unbelievable that the Niners finally have some continuity from the whole unit. And I really do think it starts with Nick Bosa. Yeah, you said it. I mean, the fact that he's only played seven games in his entire career and he's playing this well already, it's just amazing. Um, I was talking to my brother Eric, and he's a, a, a big football fan, but he's not as big of football fans as we are. He doesn't follow us closely. And when I, you know, I was kind of going over it, just saying how Nick Bosa's playing lights out and he's only played seven games and he stopped me and he goes you're kidding this guy's a rookie <laughs> I'm like no man he's he's a rookie you know like he, he he just came out the Niners drafted him second overall this year and it just it blew his mind to find out that he, he's never even played in the NFL this is his first year first seven games he hasn't even played half a season yet and he's playing arguably as the best pass rusher in football so that's amazing However, I have to respectfully disagree, even though as amazing as a game, like we've said, Nick Bosa had on Sunday, I think Tevin Coleman had probably about as great of a game that you can have for a running back, Um, albeit he didn't go reach 212 yards like Frank Gore did when he was with the Niners that one time, but he still had a hell of a game. I mean, he was averaging nine and a half yards a carry. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine dropping back, snapping the ball, handing it to Devin Coleman, and knowing you're going to get just about a first down every every snap? That's that's awesome. And the 49ers desperately needed this win against the stout Carolina Panthers team, and there's you know their really really vaunted defense, especially to not that they care about proving anybody wrong. They know what they have themselves. Like Richard Sherman always says, they don't need any outside confirmation, but us fans, it's nice to see that the media is finally starting to give them the respect they deserve, albeit maybe a few weeks too late in our opinion, but we don't really care. You know, at the end of the day, you can call call us underdogs however much you want. We know what the 49ers have. We know what they have in their locker room. We know what they could put on the field every Sunday, and what they could put on the field is exactly this. You know, Tevin Coleman running all up and down the field, Nick Bosa, terrorizing quarterbacks and you know giving them nightmares for the next four or five weeks I'm sure and you know not only did Kevin Coleman Tevin Coleman carry three in on the ground he caught that one from Jimmy Garoppolo as well he had four total touchdowns on the game I mean if you have this guy in on your fantasy lineup he probably single-handedly won you the game it would I mean it wouldn't be hard to imagine that and he had you know that 48 yard long touchdown score and it was just amazing to see especially since he had started his career with the 49ers somewhat banged up and you know this is kind of him in his full potential in Kyle Shanahan's offense somewhere that he's familiar with a system that he knows and and to top it all off the 49ers don't even have Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey in there they're still playing with you know school and Brunskill and he's doing all of this with those players in there so it's just um, that that's kind of what made it a little more that gave him the edge over Bosa as far as who had the better day I think when you took take it all into context Nick Bosa's playing with all of those other first rounders 
and Tevin Coleman's kind of doing it with backups leading the way. He didn't have a Kyle Yuse check in. So it's just when you put it all together, I think Tevin Coleman had the better day. And that's not taking anything away from um, Nick Bosa at all because Nick Bosa was amazing. But, you know, the 49ers definitely are, are running uh, pound, and ground, pound on the ground game team. And they're going to beat you on the ground unless you make them beat you through the air, which I still feel that they are more than capable of doing so. Moving on, um, you talked about Nick Bosa a little bit as more than just a defensive rookie of the year. And you talked about him possibly being, being the defensive player of the year. What do you think of that? Do you think that he has a realistic chance of that happening? Do you think that we're a little bit biased since because we're 49ers fans? Or do you feel that looking at it from an unbiased perspective, from a completely neutral standpoint, he does have a legitimate shot of being defensive player of the year? I think he has a legitimate shot. And I mean, the guy is making every opportunity count. He's getting pressures. He's getting sacks. He's getting TFLs. He's uh, he's just doing it all. And I mean, he's doing it better than most established defensive linemen. And obviously, it sucks that JJ Watt is out for the year. You know, I mean, a lot of teams have just been bit with the injury bug all season. But the fact that Nick Bosa's name has been being called on more than guys like JJ Watt, it just really goes to show Nick Bosa's overall impact on the game. And so, the reason why I think he can be Defensive Player of the Year is because I do get that he has a lot of other defensive line talent around him. But again, he's making all of the opportunity count. He played through a pretty decent uh, ankle injury for the first few weeks, but he was still effective. And now that Nick Bosa is at full health, he uh, he's just being talked about constantly. And I mean, he's being talked about and finally getting the respect he deserves throughout the whole media. Out of uh, all the sack leaders right now, Nick Bosa is ironically tied with his brother Joey Bosa with seven sacks. Uh, another rookie uh, linebacker, defensive line on Jacksonville, Josh Allen, also has seven sacks. It's just, you get the feel that Nick Bosa has just been more impactful than Josh Allen. And don't get me wrong, Josh Allen is really impressive, but his defensive talent in Jacksonville is arguably just as good as the Niners. So the fact that you're really just hearing Nick Bosa's name called on a lot more. Again, it really just tells you that this is the real deal. Nick Bosa's here. And any guy who can make almost every opportunity he gets count and mean something, in my eyes, is Defensive Player of the Year. You know, just some other stats for you, too. Nick Bosa has a pass deflection. He has 12 tackles for loss, which is tied with five other players for second in the entire league. Second. The only league leader in uh, tackles for loss is Aaron Donald, and he has 13. In fact, Nick Bosa has more sacks than Aaron Donald, and a lot of people were saying Aaron Donald's one of the best players in the league, and I do think that. But Nick Bosa, at this point already, is facing a ton of double teams, just like Aaron Donald. I think the only difference is that Nick Bosa has been more effective than Aaron Donald. And that really says a lot. You know, you always hear about Aaron Donald, but... Honestly, I feel like I haven't heard about him being called on as much as uh, Nick Bosa. So one more time, that really just shows that Nick Bosa should, without a doubt, be a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. 
<laughs> and I don't think it's bias because Nick Bosa is getting recognition all throughout media, all throughout the league, and he's really raising some eyebrows already. So I say give him rookie of the year and give him defensive player of the year. Man, I don't even know if it's possible to win both. Um, I don't know. I can't think of any recent you know example that that happened. But I totally agree with you. Nick Bosa, I mean, name me another defensive player that is playing either as good or better than Nick Bosa is right now. There just isn't one, in my opinion. He's playing phenomenal football. And the guy is coming in here, like we said, only seven games now under his belt. And he's doing all of this, you know, putting the Niners on the map, essentially. He's helping getting home. A lot of the problems this team suffered from previously was not being able to finally convert on pressures. They would, you know, be getting all of these pressures, Armstead, Defoe, even Solly, you know, they would be getting, adding up, getting a lot of pressures. However, they were never able to f- convert that into sacks. And Nick Bosa came in and has quickly, quickly turned that around. Um, so I think he's got an extremely realistic chance. In my opinion, he's he's the front runner right now for Defensive Player of the Year. I, I, I don't understand anybody who can name me a player, uh, a player that's playing better football than he is right now. Um, we talked about Levi Stadium in the last episode, Anthony, and we were talking about how it compared to Candlestick and whether or not it was going to take a while for it to become a, a factor for teams. I know a lot of people say that there's no home field advantage for the 49ers. Uh, what do you think? How, how was it on, on S- Sunday? Was it a factor at all? Was that stadium loud? Or I know we were sitting in different sections, so I want to hear your perspective and how you felt uh, the stadium was affecting the game. So when the Niners went up on the Panthers by like 30 at one point, I felt like the stadium was still rocking pretty loud. Uh, the defensive chants were just on fire. And, you know, I hadn't been to too many uh, Niners games up until this year and last year, arguably. So I never really got to see how bad Levi Stadium was when the team was really bad. And so seeing how the crowd is reacting now, I mean, fans are chanting, they're yelling, they're screaming on every drive. On offense and on defense, and I know you're supposed, not supposed to yell on offense, but I mean, you know, it's been so long since the fans have had something to cheer for, including ourselves, and now that we have something to cheer for, it's hard not to be excited, you know? I mean, you see Tevin Coleman busting out five, ten-yard runs, and all, every run you're thinking that it's going to be a touchdown or it's going to be a really big play. So it's like having something to cheer for and having a very solid product on the field is giving fans every reason to show up, giving them every reason to be loud, and just honestly be motivated to really rock and cheer for something, you know? And like I said, the Niners have been playing fantastic football all season. And I know the Steelers game sucked, but screw it. Five turnovers, they still came back and won. The Niners team as a whole has arguably been the best in all of the NFL. (laughs) I saw a really funny tweet. I think it was from uh, Ted Nagayan on Twitter, he was saying that if the Patriots and the Niners played each other, whichever one lost would, uh, face a, or excuse me, whichever team won between the two would face the criticism of, uh, oh, well, that team they beat hasn't played anyone yet. And, you know, I was listening to a podcast and Brady Quinn, former NFL player, 
was just talking about how the Niners haven't been tested, they haven't played anyone, and it's like, I don't get it. They're 7-0, what more do you want them to prove? They just put 50 on the Panthers. And whether Kyle Allen was turning over the ball or not, I still think the Niners could put up 30 on the Panthers easily. But, point being, the fact that they put on 50, 50 points, and I saw all these different stats, but basically the last time they scored 50, I believe, was in the 90s, it's just, it's unreal, you know? It's it's just a matter of time before the Niners finally, finally, finally get the 100% media attention and love that they really deserve. And if being 7-0 and being put, or excuse me, if putting 50 on the Panthers isn't proof that this team isn't real, I don't know what is. I, I have no idea what the media sees in this Niners. And it's not like the Niners can control who they play. I mean, they didn't build their schedule. They're just going out there having fun and playing solid football. So they're doing everything right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I hate when people say, well, they haven't played anybody yet. It's like, look at the Patriots schedule. And the thing that, you know, I try and tend to argue the point is that the point differential, that should say all you need to know about how good this team is. Because the Seahawks, I mean, divisions usually play the same divisions. Might be in a different order, might be different time in the seasons. However, they largely, give or take a game or two there, play the same teams. So earlier... I happened to see, I was just looking for the sake of it on ESPN, and the point differential thus far, the 49ers are plus 130 points in point differential. So that's just amazing. I mean, they've they've given up only 77 points, and they've scored 207 points. So it just goes to show they're not just beating these teams that they're playing, they're pretty much blowing them out of the park minus the 9-0 victory which you could still argue was a big victory even with only a nine point margin they still shut out the Redskins and those conditions were you know I'd like to see the Saints or any other high-powered offense go out there and put up 30 or 40 nobody was scoring a high amount of points that game I mean the Redskins field is already notorious for being a bad field you add that onto horrible weather, essentially a rainstorm, and they didn't cover that field from what I read, at least not much, and it was soaked. It was pretty much like a kiddie pool they were playing out there on. So even taking all that into context, the 49ers are still blowing all of these teams out of the park. Uh, the next closest is are the Rams, and they're only plus 40. So just think about that. The 49ers have a 90-point-plus in point differential on the closest team in the NFC West. So they're just so much better than the rest of the teams. And they've been so much better. And the points, the stats, they all of that point to that. However, some people are still thinking this team isn't for real. And at this point, there's really nothing we can do besides let the season play out. And yes, they have some tough games coming up. However, if they happen to lose one or two, I don't think that that means that they're not the real deal. Um, any given Sunday, like we say, anything can happen. However, I think this 49ers team, as it stands, and you know, even when they get better, when they add McGlinchey and Joe Staley, and they get Okello back, and they get you know Kyle Juszczyk, 
I honestly think they can go toe-to-toe with any team in the NFL and have a legitimate chance of winning. You would have to, you know, really, really show me some stats or show me some proof to try and convince me otherwise because all we've seen so far is either them knock out other teams or be in there the entire game and find a way to pull it out. We said it the last episode. I don't know if it was you or me, but this team continues to find new ways to win games. And that's probably the best thing that you can do as a team in the NFL is not have a single blueprint that teams can use to say this is what they like to do. We take away this and they're done. You know, this team can mold into different forms, into different whatever asks whatever is asked of them, sorry. And they can have success. So this 49ers team, I think, has what it takes to, you know, completely. I'm not going to say go 19 and 0. However, I think they're built for a deep playoff run at the least. And as long as they secure home field advantage, you know, in November and December, I think they have a good chance. And, you know, even if they don't, they're 4-0 on the road right now which is just insane because West Coast teams historically do not do well going back to the East Coast, having a 10 a.m. kickoff. So the fact that they're 4-0 on the road, regardless of who the um, the opponents are, I was going to say victims, damn. <laughs> um, regardless of who the opponents are, it's still huge, especially considering how this team performed on the road previously the last couple of years. I saw this stat. Uh, t- I want to talk about Garoppolo real quick. I saw this stat from my dude John Chapman on Twitter. Uh, he was taking in consideration the NFL uh, completion percentage and when it comes to deep passing and adjusted percentage. And what that is is a deep pass, anything classifies for 20 yards or more down the air or down the field, sorry. And adjusted is for passes that are on target, dropped or not. And Jimmy leads the NFL with a percentage of 75%. The closest is 9% down with Dak Prescott of the Cowboys. So Jimmy's playing good football. I know a lot of people are saying Jimmy's the actual weakness of the team. I hear it a lot on ESPN. I hear it a lot on Fox Sports, uh, Sirius Radio. They keep saying, you know, I don't know if this team can beat the Saints I don't know if this team... I've even heard people say, I don't know if they can beat the Cowboys. Uh, or, or Pete Prisco said the, the Eagles. And man, I wanted to burn my radio. I'm like, what are you talking about? This 49ers team can't beat the Eagles? Are you blind? But back to my original point, they're trying to say that Jimmy is the reason why they, can't, why they wouldn't be able to win. And I strongly disagree. I think Jimmy is the reason why they're not losing. I'm not going to go out there and say why they're winning. He's not the specific reason for that. However, he's not playing mistake-riddled football. Yeah, he's good for one to two bad throws every game. However, he finds ways to overcome that. And, you know, like he had in the Panthers game, he had that one bad throw. I don't know what he was seeing. I don't know what he was trying to do, if he trusted his arm a little too much. However, he was you know, still able to overcome that and have a really good game the rest of the game. So 
I just got to defend Jimmy Garoppolo. The guy is the best quarterback the 49ers have had in a while. And, you know, Colin Kaepernick had a fantastic stretch there. And you could argue that the offense that they switched to wasn't suited for him, whatever the case may be. However, Blaine Gabbert and, you know, anybody that was the quarterback, C.J. Beathard, Nick Bolins played pretty well, I'm not going to lie. However, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is the real deal, and I think he's the future, obviously, for the 49ers under center for a long time. And I think he's just getting started, honestly. Um, what did you, What do you think about Jimmy, Anthony? Do you think that he's the real deal? Do you think that he's a weakness of this team? He's one of the most efficient quarterbacks on third down. That should tell you all you need to know about Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, ability to move the ball and his ability to be clutch. I don't care if he throws an interception or two a game. I don't care if he's throwing for if he's not throwing for 300 yards, four touchdowns. What I do care about though is a quarterback who can move the excuse me. <laughs> All I care about is a quarterback that can move the ball efficiently and move the ball effectively. And that's what Jimmy Garoppolo does. Again, box score stats don't show how effective Jimmy Garoppolo really is. If he can move the chains, if he can move it on third down, and if he could just drive the team down the field, whether that's three completions, whether that's eight completions, it doesn't matter. If he can put the offense in good positions or and take advantage of good field position because of defensive turnovers, then that's all that really matters, guys. It's like a lot of us do want Jimmy Garoppolo to throw really well, and people don't see it. They just look at box score stats. The fact of the matter is, Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the best quarterbacks on third down. He doesn't need the air yards to show it. He doesn't need the yardage total to show it. He really just needs, or you guys really just need to look at conversion rate. Like I said, Jimmy Garoppolo probably won't put up huge stats. I'm sure he'll have a game or two where he'll just blow it up. But overall, he's not going to put up Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, or you know Ben Roethlisberger type numbers. He's going to just... He's going to put up Jimmy Garoppolo numbers. I think that's all you can really say. I mean, Tom Brady never put up big numbers all the time, but he can move the ball better than almost anyone in the league. Why? Because Tom Brady is smart. He's one of the most effective quarterbacks in the league, and I'm not trying to say Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be Tom Brady, but Jimmy Garoppolo can get to a level that can be as efficient as Tom Brady. This includes quick releases, quick reads, putting the ball in the right spot, you know, things of that nature. So Jimmy Garoppolo's ability to just move the ball constantly and effectively is what ultimately puts this team in good situations. Again, I don't care if he goes a whole drive and and they score a touchdown and he just completes the ball one time. If that one time was one of the most important throws, whether it was a third down conversion or like a fourth and four or, or a second and 20, it doesn't matter. If he completed the ball that effectively and that efficiently, that's honestly all I care about. If he's not costing the team by turning the ball over constantly or just making dumb throws and putting the team in bad situations, then it's something you can talk about. But he hasn't really done that much all season. And again, the fact that he's just being one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league is all you can honestly ask for at this point in the season. Yeah, especially when this team is trying to stack wins consistently to get into a good position for the playoffs come December. 
Jimmy's kind of the perfect quarterback for that. He's not going to go out there and throw it 40, 50 times a game. Um, he's going to go out there, throw it 20, 25, and he's going to make mostly smart decisions with it. Our guy, you know, Eric Crocker, he likes to always, I think Matt has said it too, Matt Llewellyn, they say Jimmy is essentially Tony Romo. Uh, he's not going to throw it as much. However, the decision-making, the arm kind of, you know, mirrors exactly how Tony Romo used to play. And I think that's a perfect comparison because people don't think of Tony Romo as, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. However, was he a damn good quarterback? Yeah. Yeah, he was. And, you know, that's coming from a 49ers fan. I can respect the fact that Tony Romo was talented. And I think the same of Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he's got a good arm. I think he's smart. I think for the most part, he makes good decisions. There are some boneheaded throws. There are some times where he trusts his arm a little much. But for the most part, he's the quarterback that this team needs right now. And, you know, like we've said before, he's not losing the game. You know, he could easily come out here and, you know, hear all of the noise, hear all the talk and want to prove to everybody that he can throw it, you know, 30, 40 times or he can go for the bomb once a drive and those could easily be intercepted. He's not doing that. So I think Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty much the quarterback that the 49ers need right now and the perfect quarterback for Kyle Shanahan's offense. And we got to remember, this is going to be his first full season as a 49ers starter. I think uh, he just had his 16th career start. So the guy's young, you know, like he may not be as young as a, you know, when you think of a young quarterback in terms of age. However, in terms of as a starting quarterback and experience there, he's young. Imagine, you know, a starting quarterback one year into their career and people are trying to already say, you know, he's trash or he's not what we thought he was. He's not living it up to expectations. You got to give him time. Look what Kyle Shannon did with um, Matt Ryan in Atlanta. He had an MVP year. What has he done since? So we just got to give him time to blossom. Got to give Jimmy time to heal mentally and physically and, you know, grow into himself, whether that's, you know, his smarts and his his body, you know, kind of grow into a NFL quarterback. But I think he's got all the tools necessary. They're building a, a powerhouse in San Francisco and Jimmy's at the helm of it. So whether they want to say they're a run first uh, type team, I think they still need to have Jimmy be able to win you the game, even if they don't use that um, consistently or, you know, if they try not to because running may be the safer option, they still need to have that option in their pocket. You know, what ha- if something happens to their running game or if something happens to their offensive line, even though that has happened and they're still able to overcome it, God forbid there's one game where the running game can just not get it going. They need to know that they can lean on Jimmy. And I think Kyle Shanahan is getting Jimmy to that point. So let's move on. It's going to be a quick turnaround for this team. They played on Sunday. It was a 1, 1, uh, 1 p.m. kickoff. They turn around and then they have a Thursday night game against the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. I saw on Twitter, uh, they only have one practice this week, and I believe it's tomorrow. 
And I think I actually saw it's like 5 p.m. It's usually in the afternoon. Maybe they're trying to simulate the Thursday night kickoff. Do you think that this team's going to have a problem with the quick turnaround? Usually they have, you know, the full week to prepare. They're only going to have a couple days. Even Nick Bosa was saying, I've never once in my life played a game so soon after playing a game. So do you think it's going to be a problem for this team? I don't think so. Uh, the Niners' roster is still relatively young, just like the Cardinals. I think that if we want to get really picky, the Niners are going to have to game plan more for certain players on the Cardinals rather than the whole team. And I know that's kind of like a toss-up because teams obviously do both, but I think the Cardinals still aren't really a good team. Uh, Kyler Murray has been very impressive, don't get me wrong. But that offensive line for the Cardinals is still pretty damn bad. Larry Fitzgerald is an okay receiver still. Or you know what? I lied. Larry Fitzgerald is still a very good receiver. Sorry, Larry. But he's not the same receiver he used to be, obviously, because of age. Christian Kirk is still developing. He's a nice receiver, but he still has things to work on. Uh, the Cardinals don't really have many offensive weapons. David Johnson's hurt, Chase Edmonds is hurt, they just traded for a running back, uh, Kenyon Drake. So, I think our defense should be able to handle the Cardinals pretty well. What I am slightly concerned about, I guess you could say, is the Cardinals' defense. They do have a lot of good playmakers. Patrick Peterson, Chandler Jones, Jordan Hicks is a solid linebacker. Buda Baker is a nice safety. It's just, it's another one of those things where you have to game plan for certain players, but all it takes is one Patrick Peterson interception or one Chandler Jones forced fumble to change the entire outcome of the game. So, if I had to be picky, I would say the Niners do need to prepare for Cardinals defense. Uh, some of the weaknesses I know about is that the Cardinals are not that good in the run game. They are pretty decent in the pass game. But one big knock to them is that they really can't cover tight ends. So George Kittle could have one of his best games of the season. But overall, the Cardinals, you know, you never should overlook a team in the NFL. I mean, the Dolphins almost beat the Bills last week on a failed two-point conversion. And I know that's kind of a bad example because the Dolphins suck. But the point is, is that the Dolphins still almost won against a solid Bills team. And I think the Cardinals are way better than the Dolphins. But they aren't good enough to where the Niners should beat them by two points or three points. And I'm not saying the Niners are going to put up 50, but this is another one of those games where I want to see the Niners just dominate on both sides of the ball because you get Kyler Murray off his horse, you get him outside the pocket scrambling, and he's pretty good throwing on the run. But Kyler, per <laughs> Kyler Murray under pressure can be a struggle at times, especially if his receivers aren't getting open. So we could be looking at another Kyle Allen-type game for him, at least three interceptions, you know, I think less than 100 yards. And I know that the Cardinals' offense is entirely based upon the pass. I mean, uh, Cliff, Kling, Cliff Kingsbury, Kingsbury, he really likes Kyler Murray passing the ball. So the DBs are going to be tested. The pass rush is going to be tested. And it's going to be on our defense just to pressure the hell out of the Cardinals. And if they do that and they can force turnovers, we could very well be looking at the game or at a game like how the Panthers went. Very simply put. Yeah, I agree 100%.
Kyler Murray is a shifty, really, really fast quarterback. Russell Wilson-esque when he comes to, you know, shuffling in the pocket, kind of extending plays with his legs. So it's going to be really, really tough for this 49ers defense to make sure they hit home and not just pressure him out and make him roll out and then complete a pass down the field. They do have some receivers, like you were saying. They have some playmakers. Uh, I know David Johnson and I think even their backup running back were injured. I know they just traded for someone, like you said, and we'll get into that in a bit. But I think this 49ers team should have relatively no problem winning this game. Um, We're not going to get into it too deep. We'll record another episode, I I believe, before the next game. So we should be able to have a good game against this Arizona Cardinals team. And going back to the original question, I don't think the quick turnaround should be that much of a problem. Um, I think Kyle should be able to have this team coached up to the point where, you know, a couple days isn't going to be make it or break it for this team. They're not going to come out and be in a totally different team. They know what's expected of them. They know, you know, what, what their job requests requires, I should say. So they should be able to come out here and still do what needs to be done to leave with a W. Um, let's see. I just wanted to throw out there some quick stats exiting the game on Sunday. So according to Pro Football Focus, the pass rush productivity, the NFL's top ties, top five, I'm sorry. Nick Bosa is number one overall with a 13.2 grade. Uh, the closest after that is Daniel Hunter of Minnesota with 11. So Nick Bosa has a pretty significant gap over the rest of the league, and he's a rookie. He's the only rookie on that list. You have Nick Bosa, Daniel Hunter, Miles Garrett of Cleveland, Dante Fowler of the Rams, and Nick Bosa's brother Joey with a 10.4 rounding out the five. Um, that was from David Lombardi on Twitter. Eric Branch said that um, on Sunday, Jimmy Garoppolo had a career best 81.8 completion percentage. He was 18 of 22 passing. So that's great to see. Matt Mayoko tweeted out that uh, Richard Sherman only allowed two catches on four targets for nine yards and then added that interception. That was his performance earned him the highest coverage grade of any cornerback in the NL in the NFL, excuse me, in week eight. So that was, you know, great to see. Sherman's getting back to kind of his old self. I just wanted to throw that out there, kind of give you a quick recap and a couple stats of how this team was playing. You know, they really played a really good game all around. There's not really one area where they were lacking or anything. Even Robbie Gold didn't have any problems. Kyle Nelson came back. Robbie Gold kicked that field goal down. No problem. So now that we're wrapping up here, let's uh, get into our RGS mailbag. And our first question is from Wilso22764. 49ers on Twitter and he wanted to know if we felt that the play calling when the 49ers had that safety when Jimmy got sacked in the end zone on Sunday against the Panthers was that the correct play call was he missing a read or did something happen did you did you get into that what do you think about that Anthony simply put Justin school got beat (laughs) 
you know, in hindsight, it looks like a really bad play call. However, I think one of the things to really think about when you're that far backed up into your own end zone is that if you call a play-action pass like that, you could get a huge play out of it. Most of the time, teams are stacking the box or teams are stacking for the run in situations like that. And in the heat of the moment, it looked like no receivers were quite open. And even then, Justin School got beat. I mean, he just got flat out beat. So Garoppolo really had no time to get the ball off. I, you know, at that point in the game, it's 27 to 3. I don't know if you really want to call a play action pass in your own end zone like that. But I can see Kyle Shanahan in the moment being aggressive, trying to get something moving down the field because I think he felt best that uh, that passing the ball in that situation could really get him out of that situation, again, being in the end zone. So I don't necessarily like it, but I can kind of see why he's calling it. Again, you call a play like that if you're not confident that your run game can move the ball forward being that far backed up. And I mean... No one's going to complain if that pass is completed and Jimmy G gets it off for 10, 15 yards. But because it didn't happen, he got hit and he got taken down for safety. So it doesn't look that good. Uh, I don't think it's that good that Shanahan put Garoppolo in that type of situation. But at the end, Garoppolo got up. He was fine. Came back, drove down throughout the rest of the game for touchdowns, field goals, you name it. So... In the moment, it was questionable. And, you know, what was funny, too, is I was actually sitting in the end zone, like, right when that happened. And I was thinking, like, God, those guys came so fast, and Garoppolo just got nailed, and I couldn't believe it. So it was definitely one of those more weird things, I would say, that, you know, really didn't work out. But I can see why Shanahan tried to do it. It just, again, it just didn't work out, point blank. Yeah, like you were saying, the offensive lineman got beat quickly. Um, but it is, you know, there's a risk when you call that sort of play when you're already backed up into your own end zone. We've seen this 49ers team come out in a similar situation uh, on their own one, really close, just get a quarterback sneak and quickly get themselves some yards. I was a little bit surprised to see that happen. Um, I didn't actually see it happen live. It was funny. I went to grab a beer and I saw that happen on the TV. And then when I got back to my seat, the Panthers had scored a touchdown. And I was like, damn, what the hell happened, man? They were playing lights out. And then I go for five minutes to grab a beer and I come back. There's, you know, was that nine points right there? So I think he got beat. Should they have called a different play? Yes. Um, I don't think that there should even be that opportunity to get beat. You know, they shouldn't have been put in that opportunity knowing that you have your two starting tackles out and it wasn't a major change of the game or it didn't affect it to the point where the Niners lost, obviously, but still, I mean, they didn't need to take that safety. You know, they could have ran it three straight times and then punted it. So I thought that that definitely could have been a different outcome. Uh, our second question comes from Natalie Ray on Twitter. What are your thoughts on the for, uh, excuse me, the Cardinals getting Kenyon Drake? So the fact that they lost David Johnson again, and now one of their, you know, surprising bright spots in Chase Edmonds, the backup running back, is out. 
you know, an acquisition like Kenyon Drake felt necessary. I think Kenyon Drake's ceiling is really a poor man's David Johnson. He can catch the ball pretty well out of the backfield. Uh, he's a pretty efficient run blocker, or front blocker. He's a pretty efficient runner when given the hole. But he's going to realize quickly that Arizona's offensive line is honestly no better than uh, Miami's. So behind that terrible offensive line going up against one of the best defensive lines in all of football, I don't think the running lanes are going to come that easy. We've seen the Niners give up running plays on the first drive of the game for other teams, but they lock up pretty fast. I think this is going to be one of those games where the Niners don't even allow Arizona to run for 100 yards. I like Kenyon Drake. I think he's a pretty decent football player, but he's going to realize quickly how hard it is to get anything going against one of the best defenses in football. So it's a smart, solid acquisition by Arizona. You know, they only gave up a six-round pick, and I think it was just a compensatory pick. So the the value they got him for was actually really good. But how effective he's going to be against our defense, I don't know. You know, he's pretty good in open space. Uh, again, he's a good runner if he gets a good lane. But I just don't see it happening for him. You know, and when David Johnson comes back and when Chase Edmonds comes back, he might honestly just be buried in the depth chart again. So for the Niners' sake, though, I don't think it's something to really necessarily game plan for. But catching out of the backfield, the linebackers, Quan Alexander, Fred Warner, uh, Dre Greenlaw, they definitely should be ready for Kenyon Drake because he is a pretty shifty running back. Yeah, he's a fast guy. I mean, he's. I thought he was pretty underutilized in Miami. However, just kind of getting into like the, you know, the schematics of the trade, I don't really understand it. I mean, the Cardinals are in last place. There's no possibility of them going to the playoffs this year. They're essentially still in all-out rebuild mode. They have a first-year head coach, a rookie quarterback. They're tied together. They have some time to get this team together. I don't really understand trading a pick, regardless of if it's a mid to late round pick, to get a player who's in the final year of his deal. And it kind of seems like the running back's injuries were somewhat short-term. I mean, they're not going to be out for the whole year. They're not going to be, you know, out for an extended period of time. So I don't really understand it, to be honest with you. I thought they could have signed someone off the street. I mean, look what Alfred Mo- – I think they have Alfred Morris, obviously. But I thought they would have been fine rolling with somebody like that, to be honest with you. And I know – no team wants to just kind of roll up and, you know, not show up every Sunday, essentially. However, they have to think about it long term. And I don't really understand just the optics of the trade. Uh, maybe they're, they feel differently. Maybe they feel they do have a chance <laughs> somehow to still make the playoffs this year. But with the Niners, the Seahawks, and the Rams ahead of you in the division, there's just no way. There's no way. But as far as on the field... Thursday night I think he'll he'll provide some sort of you know depending on how much he plays he's a dynamic running back you know he's no he's no David Johnson like you were saying but he's a poor man's David Johnson I don't think that's a stretch at all and he's a shifty back he's got good speed good hands and I thought the Dolphins could have done a lot more with him so I think the Cardinals got a good player for I mean it's it's like a half a season rental unless he resigns there, which I'm not sure if he will. 
but I guess we'll see. I mean, I don't understand the trade. I thought they could have done without him. Running backs are kind of uh, plug-and-play type in this league, but the Cardinals felt differently. Um, Natalie Ray also wanted to know, and, and we'll get into this in the end, but let's just put it out. What do you think the prediction for Thursday night's game is? If you're talking about score, I think that uh, the Niners should be able to handle the Cardinals pretty easily. You know, I don't like taking 50-point games for granted because they don't really happen that often, at least consistently for teams. But if the Niners can get the amount of turnovers that they did against the Panthers and just capitalize on those turnovers, we could be very, we could, you know, very well see a 40-point game. So, you know, we'll save the predictions for the end. But as a little sneak peek now, I think I'm going to throw in a 40-point burger over there for sure. Man, imagine topping 90 points in two weeks. That would be insane. But I don't think you're far off, honestly. I think this is going to be a pretty big blowout for the 49ers. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them win by three scores. However, the Cardinals... They could put up a fight, you know. They they they're built they're building to play the teams in their division. Whether they're there yet or not, probably not. That remains to be seen. But I think that it shouldn't be a problem for this team to win by two three scores. Um, let's go ahead here and wrap it up. Anthony, is there anything else you thought of the game? Anything just kind of random stats you wanted to throw out there before we wrap it up here? I just got to give Nick Bosa some love one more time, man. Three sacks and interception. Arguably the best defensive player we had in that game. This guy is looking like he's going to reach levels that exceeded Aldon Smith, Justin Smith. It's, it's really amazing to watch. And his development going forward is going to be huge. I already think that Nick Bosa's uh, level of impact could very well carry the Niners to a deep, deep playoff run. And like we said, he's only a rookie. Imagine what his ceiling can really be. And I mean, he's only just barely reaching the tip of the iceberg as to how far he can, you know, take his level of play. So, gotta give more Nick Bosa love, man. The guy is something special. He's a real deal, no doubt. He really is. And like I said earlier, I'm just thrilled that he's on the 49ers and not another team because they've dealt with Aaron Donald, players like that. You know, even when uh, Michael Bennett was in Seattle, who were just constantly causing problems for the 49ers. And, you know, I dreaded when they had to go up against them. So it's, you know, exhilarating for them to have somebody like that on their side, finally. Um,. I had to ask this real quick. Bruce Irvin obviously comes out after the game and, you know, says that the 49ers, quote unquote, they're okay. They're not world beaters. And then he said, uh, you know, they were better than us today, but I don't think it, I don't think they're a better team. What do you think about that? That just sounds like a salty player. You know, I mean, when you get embarrassed like that, it's, it takes a lot on you. It takes a lot out on you. I mean, keep in mind, Bruce Irvin was a former Seahawk. I mean, this dude is used to just pounding on the Niners for years, and the fact that he's now on the other side of it, I think he's low key getting a taste of his own medicine. So 
He's he's getting what he ultimately deserved after saying something that dumb, honestly. So it's whatever. Nick Bosa obviously doesn't care. The rest of the team doesn't care. And just the Niners just flat out beat the Panthers no matter what. That's that's the ultimate goal and the ultimate result. They just smacked the Panthers point blank. Yeah, it's funny that you brought up Nick Bosa because they brought it to his attention. And he goes, who said that? Bruce Irvin. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. I mean, it, it's obvious that the 49ers were the better team on Sunday. And I think if they were to play themselves best out of 10, they'd probably win nine at least. So I just don't understand the fact, like you said, he just he just was salty. And it kind of reminds me of like Jalen Ramsey when he came out after Jimmy Garoppolo just completely shredded the Jaguars defense. You want to talk about prime Jimmy Garoppolo? That was a signature Jimmy Garoppolo game. And then he comes out and says, eh, you know, I don't think he's that good. It just reminds me of that. And I, I don't understand it. You know, if if you're a sportsman and you you play professionally, you know, have the class to give respect to somebody who just beat you. Regardless on if you don't like each other, regardless on what the circumstances was, you still shake hands after and before. And, you know, you can say, yeah, the guy played a hell of a game. They were, you know, they beat us today and hopefully next time we'll get the best. We'll get the better of them. Excuse me. And it was kind of like Gerald McCoy (laughs) hyping up his guys before the game. You know, we want all the smoke. We want all the smoke. It's like, you know, no, you didn't. You, You clearly didn't. I I honestly, you know, you see that now and it's like, damn, dude, not only did they get the smoke, but I mean, I guess you could say they literally got the smoke too with all the California fires going on. <laughs> okay, that was, a, that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. That was a bad joke. I'm sorry about the fires. But, uh, nah, you know, to come into a game, you know, hype up like that and then just lay an egg. And I mean, the Niners are no pushover. But the Panthers really laid an egg. And then every game this season, the media has said, oh, well, the Niners haven't been tested. Who have the Niners played? Well, everyone was hyping Kyle Allen as, like, the next best coming of uh, quarterback play. A lot of people talking about, oh, Cam Newton's time is done, and they need to trade him, and this is Kyle Allen's team now. Well, I think the Niners shut that down pretty damn quickly, so... Moving on. <laughs> Moving on now. We got bigger things to fry. Yeah, I love that people were saying, you know, he doesn't throw interceptions. He hasn't thrown any interceptions. And then Sunday happens and he throws three, you know. So, it, 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 I mean, it's a testament to this 49ers defense at the same time. But whoever you put in front of them, they're just going to pass the test, man. They're just going to keep doing it. They're going to keep shutting down of offenses. And they're going to keep winning games. And real quick, you gave props to Nick Bosa I gotta give props to uh, Emmanuel Mosley the guy came in for an injured uh, Akella Witherspoon and then even you know when Jason Verrett came in and he kind of re-aggravated his injury whatever I don't remember exactly what it was he got burnt on that Steelers game and then you didn't really see him again and Mosley has played good football Mosley has come in, done everything that's asked for him. I think he's soaking up 100% of what Richard Sherman is teaching him. And, you know, the 49ers may have struck gold in Emmanuel Mosley. What do you think about that? 
Emmanuel Mosley looks like he's going to be Richard Sherman's eventual replacement, and that's saying a lot. You know, Sherman doesn't look like he's going to slow down anytime soon, but uh, father time does catch up to people very quickly, so it just looks like Emmanuel Mosley is coming out, he's ready to play, and even then, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily a, uh, a beneficiary, beneficiary of a good pass rush. Even when the pass rush isn't hitting home, Emmanuel Mosley is still making plays. I mean, look at his interception. He jumped that route beautifully and just ripped the ball away from the receiver and intercepted the ball. So Emmanuel Mosley's development is huge, and it looks like the Niners are on their way to having one of the better pair of uh, young corners in Akella Weatherspoon and Emmanuel Mosley in the entire league. They may not be the best, they may not be world beaters, but they're sure as hell quality DBs that can get the job done. So, Mosley's development is huge, and he's definitely going to be a cornerstone player for the Niners in the future. No doubt. Yeah, and the thing that I love most about this is that he's getting prime, you know, premium game time playing time. These are, you know, real games. It's not preseason. It's not, you know, scrimmage games against other teams. It's real game action that he can learn from. He can experience, he can make mistakes, he can experience success, and he's putting all of that under his belt. And like you said, when Richard Sherman, you know, eventually retires, he's got all of this experience that he could use to his advantage. So I think, you know, he's definitely a key player for the 49ers moving forward. You can never have, you know, too many DBs and pass rushers, and the 49ers have, you know, appear to have a pretty good, you know, stock of both. So wrapping up here, what do you think, Anthony? Do you, should, should we give them a prediction for the game on Thursday night? I think we can sneak in a quick, uh, a quick little prediction. You know, I said the Niners have the chance to put up 40 on the Cardinals, and uh, you know what? I think they're going to put up 40 on the Cardinals. You know, quick turnaround. The team might not be as well-rested, but I don't think that matters, Zach. I, uh... This Niners team has a special type of uh, mentality coming into each and every game. And, you know, the Niners haven't beat the Cardinals since, uh, what, 2014, I believe. They haven't beat them in four or five years. So it's time the streak ends. It's time it ends now. And every division game matters. You know, if you want to make a statement in the league, but especially make a statement in your division, you win those damn division games. So... I just got to roll with the hot hand, man. I think the Niners are going to smoke the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals can score some points in garbage time. But at that time, I think the final score is going to be uh, Niners 44, Cardinals 17. I'm going to roll with that. 44 to 17, Niners. Man, that's a pretty good uh, win there. So that would mean they go into Monday night at home against Seattle 8-0. Man, that would be amazing. Uh, let's see my prediction. This, the spread is uh nine and a half. That's what the Niners are favored, which is pretty significant on the road, but it is the Cardinals team. They're not, you know, an elite team by far. I'm going to go with 28 to seven. I think, uh, that's probably a realistic score. The Cardinals will probably get one in the first quarter sometime. And then that's it. That's what we've kind of seen out of this 49ers defense. They'll kind of take half a quarter or so in the beginning of the game to get, you know, airtight and really gelling. So I think that that's a good score for me. Uh, I'm going to pick one player to pick the stats, predict the stats like we do. 
and I'm going to go with, you know, I went with Emmanuel Sanders last week, and I'm going to do it again this week. I think he'll probably have five catches for 72 yards, and I think he finds the end zone again. Which player do you want to predict? I'm going to stick with the offensive side of the ball with you. Uh, the Cardinals are terrible at covering tight ends. This is going to be George Kittle's breakout big game. I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking like the likes of which we've never really seen a tight end pull out. So, this is going to be super duper hot takey, and that's okay. You guys are here for it. I'm here for it. I think George Kittle is going to break over 200 receiving yards. I think he's going to get two touchdowns. Over 200 receiving yards, so I'm going to roll with, uh, let's say, 212. 212 receiving yards, two touchdowns, and I think he's going to do it on 12 catches. I think he's just going to have one hell of a day. I'm sorry. But uh, George Kittle's just, he's had very solid games this season, but he hasn't had, like, that game. Well, you know what? I think this game is going to be that game. He's just going to dominate the Cardinals, and it's going to be one hell of a thing to watch. Man, 212 yards, and you say two TDs? That's insane. Uh, For the sake of my fantasy team, I hope you're right. (laughs) Um, I could see it. I could really see it. George Kittle is a beast, and he's due for one. You know, he hasn't had that signature Stone Cold Kittle game. So I could definitely see it. Um, But that's going to be it for us today, guys. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, We're just getting this podcast going, so expect a lot more from us. Uh, We really appreciate the support so far. Uh, If you haven't yet, be sure you go follow us on Twitter at RGSPod, as in Red Gold Standard Pod. Uh, Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. Anthony, let the folks know where they can find you on Twitter. All right, guys, just how we close out every show, you guys can find me on Twitter at Perry underscore 49ers. That's at Perry, P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49ERS. And you know what, guys? Make sure you guys give some guys back here behind the scenes some love, too. Uh, we have Steve Mullen, who's, you know, produced, produced excuse me, produced our amazing uh, logo. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter at S. Mullen Jr., S-M-U-L-L-A-N-J-R. And then we have, you know, our boy Stefan Kruger back here editing everything, producing. So, you know, make sure you follow him. His uh, handle is J-A-V, and I believe it's 95 underscore. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Uh, We really appreciate you guys tuning in, like we said. And we look forward to talking to you guys, hopefully after the 49ers are 8-0.